Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 107 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 12th of May 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 39. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Turning our Bibles once again this morning. You may not need to turn. You should have these verses pretty well memorized by now. That uh, God's Word never gets old. And the amazing thing is, is uh, not what we have seen and found in these few verses, but what I've had to leave out. <laughs> uh, God's Word. It's just the depths of it are beyond our comprehension. We uh, recognize that uh, as we have been looking at God's Word in our series on contending for the faith, that they will be the 39th sermon on that glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in most recent times, we've been looking at the operation of a New Testament church. And I guess today, God willing, will be about the uh, 20th sermon now you know, if you're trying to comprehend just how much uh, all that takes in, well, I just, uh, there's over 50,000 words there already, uh, and we haven't, uh, we haven't finished. Uh, and you know me by now well enough to know that uh, I say a lot more than what's printed on the, uh, on the papers usually. Uh, we've been looking at the church that Jesus gave himself for. We're looking at the, up at the church that is made up of you and I today as born-again believers. We're looking at what we as a local church should be and how we should operate, and is that vital? Is it important? We need to grasp everything that the Word of God teaches and tells us about this. A lot of it is exciting. A lot of it is challenging. The thing is, is that We've said many times that we don't need more organizations. We certainly don't need more religious organizations. We do need God. We need the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ present in our lives, present in our communities. And if we're going to be obedient Christians, if we're going to be happy Christians, then it's going to be being part of his church. Now, as we look back to Acts chapter 2, I'd like to begin by reading these verses again this morning, beginning in verse 41 and reading down through verse 47. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word, beginning in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized... And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. They, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, 
breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Father, thank you again for the time that we have today. Thank you, Lord, that we know that this time does not have to be wasted, but, Lord, that we have the power of your presence with us. Father, I would pray once again this morning, Lord, that you would just take and take any distractions away that might be in our midst. Help us, Lord, not to have wandering minds. Help us, Lord, to be open and receptive to that which you have for us this morning. Lord, we will give you all the praise and all the thanks for it. In Jesus Christ's name, amen and amen. Well, as I said, we've been looking at some time, and what I'm going to try to do today, God willing, is to bring some of these things together because we've looked, as I said, at some 20 messages just on the the operation of the church and uh, so this morning, I want to remind you, I want to bring it together. I know that uh, some of you have been here for most of them. Some of you have, uh, uh, have missed some of them, but, uh, but it's a long time, even if you've been here for every one of them. Uh, it is a, uh, a, a long time and a lot of ground that we have, have covered, and, uh, and God willing, uh, over the next two Sundays, uh, we will look at the last two messages in the... Uh, the operation of the church. And again, you know, my timing would all be messed up if it weren't for God, but, uh, uh, but we're coming to, uh, to this point uh, when the, uh, the last thing that we want to, uh, to look at uh, concerning the uh, functions of the church, we looked at, uh, uh, at a, a number of things, but uh, uh, we also want to, we looked at the focus, we looked at the functions, and then under the operation, we want to look at the, uh, at the finances. Uh, and uh, we'll be looking at that in closing. But before we uh, come to that, and of course the timing is, is perfect because the focus of our missions conference is not money, it's souls. Uh, the focus of our mission conference is not the fellowship, but it's the gospel getting to the ends of the world, beginning at Jerusalem and going to the ends of the world. Uh, the purpose of the missions conference coming up this month is not to, uh, to make life harder for you, but to make life more blessed for you. Uh, you have seen time and again as we have covered so many of these things covering the church. The church is not about you and me. It's about God. The church is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And his purpose in coming was to seek and to save that which was lost. Our missions conference is about the mission of this church, of each and every one of us as individuals. Now, we began in the very beginning of our series on, on the church. Uh, we defined the church, that prospective church, if you would, that, uh, uh, that church that uh, uh, one day uh, will be assembled together, will be, uh, will be called out of here uh, and be gathered together with our Lord in the air. But then we said that most of our focus was going to be upon the present church because there is a present local visible assembly right now. We look forward to that one when we will be assembled together with him when we're called out of here at that, at that time called the rapture. But our focus has been primarily upon the present church that you and I are part of right now. 
that you and I are, are here this morning uh, as a part of this church here at Bethel Free Baptist Church. We saw that the wonderful descriptions that uh, uh, that the Bible gives us that helps us to to begin to understand as the the present church is believers that it's a that it's a body the body of Christ that it's a building uh, that He inhabits. It's the very bride of Christ that one day will be presented spotless before Him. We looked at many things concerning that, and I hope that you gained from that. But then we. We turned to the design of that New Testament church. Once we defined what it was, we looked at, okay, well, how is it built? How is it put together? What is it all about? We looked at the organization of a church. We saw that a church is not a building. It's not just a set of rules. It is Christians united together in a bond, in a common bond with Christ himself. As our head, we're not just some other organization. It's exciting to be a part of the church. It's exciting to be a part of, of the very body of Christ as we're united together with Jesus Christ as our head. We looked at the offices within that church. Those that are called by God, the pastors, the elders, the bishops, that God gives as a gift to the church that they might be built up that they might be perfected, as the Bible says, matured until that day that the Lord comes back for us again. And also those that are chosen by the church, the deacons, uh, to serve the body, uh, to serve the Lord. It is the body of Christ that they're serving. There are many needs within our fellowship. And so we thank God for uh, those that, uh, that he has given us to serve us here at Bethel we talked about the ordinances, the beauty of believers' baptism, the how essential, how important that it is to us and, and what it represents. And then we, we talked about the Lord's Supper. We as a body, we as a church coming together around the Lord's table to remember Him, to focus upon Him. But as we looked at those things, the organization, the officers, the ordinances, I said, we have spent the last 20 or so on the operation of that New Testament church. And that's what I want to remind you as we kind of try to, to pull these things together here today of just what it is that the Lord has shown us about the operation of his church. And we talked first of all about the focus of the church. Um, we talked about the reality that where God dwells, His glory will be present. It's what we know is His intrinsic glory. If God is present, His glory will be present. You can't have God without His glory. But then we also talked about how that God's glory should be seen in us, that we should bring glory to God with our lives and certainly with our church. That's what we call His ascribed glory. His intrinsic glory is that which is within himself that you can't do anything about. It's just there. That ascribed glory that we ascribe to him. And of course, we said that the focus of the church has got to be bringing glory to God in everything. It's not just for our making us feel good. It's not for all of our fellowship. It's not for all the, above all, we are here to bring glory to him. 
We look back at many of the, I guess, catechisms and man's things that he's put down. One of the first questions that is often asked is, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our chief aim is to glorify God. Well, the next question would have to be, well, what rules has God given us to direct us on how can we bring glory to God? How can we enjoy him? And I would remind you once again that it's the word of God, that which is contained within the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. That is the only rule to direct us in how we might glorify and enjoy him. We can come up with lots of good ideas, and some of them might be grand and, and great and fantastic. But man has tried for centuries to glorify God in his own way. What I'm saying is the church, we've got to glorify God in his way. Our very purpose in living, the very purpose that we exist, is to glorify him. There's only one way that you and I can glorify God. That's to be in Jesus Christ. It may not sound very nice, and it may not sound very polite, but the simple truth is, is that without Christ, we're all just filthy, dirty sinners. Our righteousness are as filthy rags. So if we're going to bring glory to God... It must be in Jesus Christ, the focus of the church, in all things, in every function, in everything that we do. We don't have some other focus when we begin to get our focus on anything else that belittles our focus upon God and his glory, then we're looking in the wrong direction. So that's where we've got to begin in the operation of the church. And we talked about many things concerning that. Then we said, okay, if this is our guide, if this is what is going to teach us and show us how to bring glory to God, how to enjoy God. See, again, I don't say it to be unkind. We get used to just enjoying ourselves, enjoying things in the flesh, enjoying what we like and what feels good to us and what's comfortable with us. But worship's got nothing to do with us. The simple truth is, is that as we begin to look at the functions of the church, that's where we began the ministry of worship. It's the ministry of worship. We looked in the Old Testament. We looked in the New Testament. Many people have all these ideas, but said, okay, how does God define worship? Do you remember what the Old Testament word meant that we looked at? It literally carries the idea of, I, I know, Sometimes sometimes we think that it's having a big party. <laughs> you know, I, I, we ought to be happy. Sometimes I wish some of you looked like you enjoyed your, uh, your Christianity and your worship a little bit more. <laughs> if you do, tell your face, praise God. But the reality is when we look into Scripture of what does worship, how does it define it? Well, it carries the idea of laying prostrate, laying flat out in homage before Royalty before God. It's to bow oneself down. 
like you would before royalty, to fall down flat, to humbly beseech, to do obeisance, to reverence. You see, the thing is, is again, in, 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 in the Old Testament, when the Bible talks about worship, it's not about coming together to see what it can do for me. It's coming together to literally humble ourselves and bow ourselves and pay homage to God and to look at his greatness and who he is and what he is. And it's all about glorifying him. That's what worship is. We look into the New Testament. You know, Greek word, Hebrew word, maybe it has a different meaning. It means to kiss. Like a, literally, like a dog licking the back of his master's hand. That's the idea that the word carries with it. Just that, that complete care, love, submission carries the meaning again of, of prostrating oneself, of doing reverence, of adoring, of holding one in just awesome reverence. We come together to worship. You know, we don't sing the songs that we sing just so we can pat our foot and feel good. We can like a lot of things. We find that we talked about as we come together to minister, to, to worship. Remember how A.W. Tozer defined it? He said, worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of the most ancient mystery, capital M, that majesty which philosophers call the first cause, but which we call our Father, which art in heaven. You see, is that something that you just, you just can't even hardly express it, not because of what it's doing, because of who he is, because of how you see him. Folks, it's easy, and we need to realize the dangers. It's easy to do things in the flesh. It's easy to focus upon our feelings. It's easy to do what we do because of our emotions. They affect us so much, even when we come to worship. If we're not careful, our mind will be out there on anything and everything and this and that and the other, and not upon him. We can't worship like that. It's impossible to worship like that. We're just here, but there's no worship taking place. You see, it's not about what it does for me, but what it does for him, what it does for God. People have got a lot of various ideas about what's proper and what's acceptable, how we should go about it, how we should conduct ourselves in church, what should be part of our church services. How in the world do we ever figure out what's right or wrong? How do we know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable? Well, I say again, we can't do that by looking at what others are doing. Well, they're doing this, and well, they're enjoying it, and I really like that, and you know, they're getting a lot of people because they, 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 they do it this way and they do it that way, but we've already said we've only got one rule book. What 
is acceptable to God. What does God have to say about the acceptability of worship? And, and in the first place, we don't have to all do it the same way. They're not a bunch of infidels just because they don't sing the same song, because they don't do it in the same order. The simple truth is, is that whatever that we're doing, it needs to be in accordance to the Scriptures, the Word of God, as we begin to look there. And so we talked about the, first of all, the essential of worship. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They that worship him, the next word in your Bible is M-U-S-T. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is no worship outside of that. The Bible says, God says, that if they're going to worship, they must worship in spirit and in truth. We talked a lot about that. We talked about what it meant to worship in spirit. Worship is not possible in the natural man. It's not possible in the flesh. It's not in the external. God is a spirit, and he must be worshiped in spirit. It must come from within. You see, the spirit is within, and therefore worship must come from within. It can't originate in the flesh. Just like everything else with God, it must come from the heart. Those that have taken of the water of life, those that have received Jesus Christ, they are indwelt by the Spirit. They should be filled with the Spirit. And if they are, they'll be controlled by the Spirit. And only then can they become one with Christ and therefore one in spirit. Must worship in spirit and in truth. We talked about what it meant to worship in truth. We talked about a lot of things, but first of all, nothing false, nothing artificial, nothing make-believe. You can't pretend. You can't sit back there with a nice smile on your face and just be nice and worship God when there's nothing within. It's got to be centered upon God in all of his fullness. You see, true worship must be in truth. It must be consistent with God's word. This is truth. This is what God has revealed to us. And so we find that the Bible says that true worship has got to be in spirit and in truth. We also talked about then not only the essential, but we talked about the various elements. We do lots of things, and so many times people will get the idea, well, we're going to worship at this part of the service, and we're going to do something else at this part of the service and do something else. We're here to worship him in everything that we do. If it doesn't glorify him, it shouldn't have any place here. We talked about a number of things. We looked in 1 Corinthians 14 at much of the order that's given to us there, and we won't go through all of that, but we saw that, as we did in other places, that, that God's Word has got to be central. 
that everything that we do is it's for edification. It's for building up. It's to bring glory to God, and we do that by what we do for others, not for ourselves. It's orderly. God's not the author of confusion. God has specific roles, not only for men and for women, but he gives specific gifts, each one within the body, to do their part to make the whole work together like it's supposed to. Each part is important. Each part is vital to the body working together properly. God's word is final. We might have all kinds of excuses for changing it. Well, that didn't mean that, and this was a different culture, and that was back then, and this is now. Look, either God's word is final or it's not. God's word or man's word. God's word. We found the importance there. Prophecy, the telling forth of God's word, of what God has got to say. We talked about all these various elements, the singing. <laughs> Boy, that can get a lot of hairs up. <laughs> People are passionate about their music often. Music, musical instruments, singing, individually, corporately. Look all through your Bible. They're, they have an important role in the lives of God's people. We've got 150 Psalms right in the middle of our Bible that we were talking about during our Bible study time this morning. We find that music is powerful. It's a powerful means of communicating. See, not only does it flow from within, you know, music often expresses that, you know, whether it's melancholy or whether it's happy or whether it's joyful, but music also reaches to the very soul of people. Satan has figured out how to use it well. <laughs> Satan has taken music and absolutely drilled into the minds and the hearts of generation after generation, the ungodly, that which is totally contrary to God's Word. You know, we, we become so desensitized to it. Why? It's on the radio all the time. We listen to it. We hear it. We're entertained. It's got a nice beat. they got a nice sound. And yet they're not singing about love. They're singing about lust. They're not singing about godly relationships. They're singing about ungodly, worldly relationships and trying to make it all seem just as, as normal and okay. And we're okay just to sit right there and just bounce right along with it and sing right along with it. I heard a message one time entitled, The Greatest Evangelist in the World. That was Satan using his music. <laughs> Probably affected so many lives. Gets through to the brain, to the mind. It's an important part of our worship too. We're not careful, it can become a fleshly thing because we like it. We like the sound, we like the beat. The essence of worship is spirit and truth. If it, if it doesn't come from the heart, if it's not true, you know, we might have some disagreements. You know, some people like hymns and some like songs and some like choruses and people like all kinds of different things. Some like the old, some like the new. Well, we said a lot of things then. I don't have time to go back and say it now, but Spirit and in truth. Number one, if, it's, if it departs from God's word in any way, I don't care how nice it sounds. I don't care how it makes you feel. It's ungodly. It must be truth if it's going to be true worship. And folks, 
a music that appeals to your flesh rather than to him, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. It doesn't mean you won't like it. It doesn't mean it won't feel good. But that's not what worship is about. Altogether, it's to glorify him. It's to focus upon him. It's not to feel good in the flesh for the sake of the flesh. So whatever you taste, and people are going to vary from all kinds of things. I'm saying there's guidelines in Scripture that we must agree on. We find that with all these different things, we talked about the importance of prayer, all the different types of prayer that we pray when we come together the times that we pray during our worship times, the times that we pray in our uh, prayer meetings and things of this sort. We talked about the offerings. We talked about the, the testimonies, praising God, giving God thanks for, for what he's done so many times. He does such wonderful, great things for us, and we can't even say thank you. We can't even give him praise for what he's done for us. Of course, the preaching and the teaching. God's word. I know. I know. I know it's a whole lot easier to come together a lot of times and just get focused upon music that makes us feel good and we can kind of kind of just go with it and we're not we're not challenged, you know. I've had people say to me, and, and look, you know. I will stand before God one day, and I'm not so foolish as to think that I'm the perfect preacher. I know that's fools some of you. <laughs> I'm not so foolish as to think that I've always got everything right. I'm the last person to think that. I've told you, and I mean it. It takes, it takes more of God's grace for me to be up here than it would for any of you probably. But his grace is sufficient. The thing is, is that when we come together, when we're together as a group of people, as a body of people, we're not here just for what feels good. I, I, I started to say, I've had people say to me before, well, you know, you know, some say, you know, preacher, you're just too hard. <laughs> or preacher, you, you, you get too excited. <laughs> Uh, I, I can't help it. God knew what he was getting when he got me, you know. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever shouted just for the sake of shouting. Praise God, sometimes I feel like shouting. <laughs> uh, God's word excites me. What God's word will do for you excites me. The thing is, is God's word's got to be the center because that's what's going to change us. One of the greatest ways that we glorify him it's when we're changed into his image. We don't, that don't feel good a lot of times. It doesn't feel good when we're being shown, but boy, it feels a whole lot better afterwards if you listen to him, if you respond to his word. It's only when we reject it, when we don't, we just don't want to go there. That's when it's troubling. But if we let God's word change us more and more into the image of Christ, oh, we'll know real freedom. The truth will set you free. It's the resistance to it that's a problem, not what the truth will do for you. So may that never come to the point that it's not a part. The ministry of worship. 
we talked about the ministry of witness. We spent quite a, quite a bit of time there. And, and you know, again, it's so vital. We saw that it's, that it's crucial for the church. That was how the church was born. People got saved. <laughs> that was the only way. We looked in our passage, in our text, in, in Acts chapter 2. You know, that's how it began. They that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Next message, I think there was 5,000 saved. The truth is, is that it's crucial. There can't be a church without the witness. We saw as we looked all through the book of Acts, that it was the ministry of witness that was central. Yes, they were persecuted for it. They were run out of town. They were scattered abroad everywhere, but they went everywhere preaching the truth, proclaiming the gospel, being witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Person after person, church after church, missionaries being sent out, witness, witness, witness. That's what the church does. That's what it's about. We're supposed to be the body of Christ. He didn't come to earth to have a party. He didn't come to earth for a vacation. He came to seek and to save. He came to serve. Just as the first church was birthed through the witness of the gospel, that's the only way New Testament churches can be birthed today. That's the only way anyone has ever been birthed. We also talk about the fact that not only was it crucial and central, but that it was commanded, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Obey, disobey. That's all there is to it. We saw that it's compassionate. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. I didn't say that. God said it. Do we care? Do we care? Do you care? Your family member, your workmate, your next-door neighbor, everybody that you meet, that you come face-to-face -face with, every human being you know, they'll either receive and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or they will be damned. There's only the two options. Our witness is vital and how dare we say that we care? Because we also said that <laughs> that's what it is to be a Christian. Christian means Christ-like. I made the statement, and I'd say it again. To call yourself by the name of Christian, to take his name, and not to be doing everything you can to win the lost. It's just simply to be a hypocrite. We can't truly be a Christian and not be a soul winner. We can exist, we can carry on, and you might even have your fire insurance to get you into heaven one day. But we're talking about being like Jesus Christ. That's what people should see in us. That's what they saw in the first church. That's why they ran them out of town, being a witness. And, of course, that requires commitment. Commitment to being willing to go, to go for him instead of you.
being willing to go wherever God wants you, whether it's on these doors out here, whether it's down in the city center in a couple of weeks when we're down there, whether it's the jungles of South Africa or the deserts of Africa, go. Go ye into all the world. Well, you can't go everywhere. We've got to be committed to give. I know there's a lot of things. We're going to all set our priorities, and we're going to talk about this some in the next couple of weeks. How committed are we to winning the loss to Christ? Again, it's one of those things that it will really only hurt us when we don't want to respond. God doesn't do anything to hurt you. But somebody's got to be willing to go. And somebody's got to be willing to give that others can go. You know, the simple truth is we live in a world and it costs money. Others have to be committed to guard. Maybe that God wants you right here. God, you know, it'd be kind of tough for me next Sunday if I come back and none of you were here and everybody gone off to Africa. You know, praise God for what, but God doesn't send everybody. Somebody has to be committed to guard the truth, to guard the home front, to be strong here for those that are going. It also requires cooperation. <laughs> you know, I said on one hand, you've got to be willing to go if nobody else goes but you. But that's not the way God. God chose 12. He sent them out two by two. God chose another 70. He sent them out two by two. Cooperation. Cooperation with each other within the local church, working together, not against each other. Cooperation with others outside the local church. Those of like-minded churches we find that it also requires communion. Communion with him. We can't do it ourselves. Jesus sent us out, but he said all power had been given to him, and he was going with us. Every instance that we're commissioned, everywhere we're commanded to be a witness, We're never told to do it in our own strength. We're never told to do it in our own power. We need communion. We need prayer. We need God with us for the ministry, for guidance, for all those things, for missionaries, for God to send forth labors. He tells us to specifically pray that those that be sent into the harvest, for those that God has already called forth, well, they can't operate on the fields under their own power. We need to pray for the means, the money, the finances to be able to, for, for wisdom and guidance in where that we use what God has blessed us with. For men, for women, children, boys, girls, that the lost might be saved. Their hearts are going to be hardened many times. They're, they're not going to want to hear the message. We need to pray those hearts would be broken down. And yes, though it's controversial, we need to pray also, if we said, for motherhood and marriage, for the family. You see, God had a way. God created man and woman, and he has roles for all, but he has a role within the church as a family. Men and women married together, having their family, their children, 
And when the church begins to depart from that, it can't be a true witness. There's no way it's not portraying a true Christ by any stretch of the imagination. We talked about the ministry of the Word. I can't overemphasize the importance of the Word, the functioning of a, of a New Testament church. We found that as we looked into God's Word, we saw the preciseness of the commission that was given to the churches, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Yes, we go to them, we witness to them, but we don't just leave them out there as orphans then. We teach them to observe all things that he has commanded us. We saw also the practice of the church in obeying Christ's command. In our text in Acts, then they that gladly received his word. We talked about the purpose of the gifts as they're given to the church. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. We talked about the pointedness of that message that's given to the churches in Revelation and every one of them, the one common message to every one of the churches, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. What has God got to say? Because the Spirit speaks through God's Word. He doesn't just pull something off a shelf that you have no way of knowing if it's right or wrong or anywhere in between. He uses God's Word. The churches that had departed from that were strictly rebuked for what they were doing. And, of course, the Philadelphian church was specifically commended for keeping his word and encouraged to, to hold fast. Any church that's not willing to listen to what the Spirit saith, they're in big trouble. There is no question about it as he speaks to us through his word. We talked about the ministry of work, of service. It's been some of the most recent things, specific areas of service. Talked about the fact that, you know, God's not limited to time and space and things. God is capable of doing anything, anywhere. He's God. He holds the power of the universe. He created everything that is is, everything that exists. He put it there. He keeps it there. Oh, yes. Our flesh and our faith or lack of will oftentimes hinder the work of God. But it's not because of any slackness on God's part. We need to be willing to serve him. He gives us great examples of that. In our passage in Acts chapter 2, we saw that one of the beautiful examples there was the way they served each other. I mean, they saw a need. They were willing to give up everything they have to sell their own possessions in order to meet the need of somebody else. Nobody was telling them they had to do that. God's not telling you you have to today. But it's because of their spirit, because of their oneness, we find that it came out very clear 
in their service to one another. He said the ministry of works as a function of the church is most simply defined as the work of Christ. <laughs> both within the church and without, the church should seek to minister, to serve just as Christ did, to serve one another within the body, to serve those that are without. 